Let's turn with you now in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 10, and we'll read the whole chapter. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and in your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth, and that they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, And they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth till this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you... Not yet know that Egypt is destroyed. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Behold, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be after them, for they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take Away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. 
And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locust away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what words of rebellion, words of darkness, words of destruction and of death... Heavenly Father, is there a gospel in the midst of this for us? We pray that, there, that this gospel, the good news that comes even in the midst of all this judgment would be made all the clearer for us as this darkness surrounds it on every side. That the light may be very pure and very sharp and bright, piercing even to the darkest heart among us. That, Lord, you yourself would glorify yourself in the retelling of these things. And, Lord, also in the salvation of sinners. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tonight we come to Exodus chapter 10, and with my previous sermon in chapter 9, we'll take the whole chapter, as indeed it is a whole unit. Now the plagues covered in it are two. There is the eighth plague, which is locust, the ninth plague, which is darkness. But actually, as we see, perhaps even in the reading, they are coming to the same thing. They are both speaking at this point of the darkness that is descending upon the land. Now, the chapter is framed by two very important statements. The very first verse, it says, now the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his, his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things that I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know I am the Lord. Friends, if for no other reason than precisely this statement, we must preach this. God has determined in his goodness, God has determined in his glory, that these things not only happened, but that they should be proclaimed from father to son, from parent to child, on to the day that that Christ returns. One generation to the other, telling the great deeds of the Lord. And so we do so tonight. 
reminded, of course, that all these things, everything that the Lord does is for his glory. And in the first question of the catechism, we ask, what is the chief end of man? And man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And beloved, we glorify him even as we gather tonight and remember and recall the great things that he has done. But the chapter then has its other frame in the last verse, where Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. And as it were, the curtain is, is, is drawn as it covers and brings to a close this part of the book of Exodus. With these ominous words, Pharaoh seals his own fate removing himself from the means of grace, removing himself from Moses the mediator, the one, the only one who could stand before him in the coming judgment of God. And from this point, it is a story of the inevitability of the fullest judgment to come upon Pharaoh. Well, the title tonight is Darkness Descends. Darkness Descends. And there are four points. First, the voice of reason. Second, Pharaoh chooses darkness. Third, darkness comes. And fourth, Pharaoh chooses death. The voice of reason. Pharaoh chooses darkness. Darkness comes. And Pharaoh chooses death. Well, we consider then how darkness descends upon the land and upon the heart and the person of Pharaoh. First of all, the voice of reason, because the Lord is speaking reason. When he comes speaking to Pharaoh, he is speaking the voice of logic and of calm reason. Moses and Aaron come into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. This is eminently reasonable. The Lord has demonstrated his power, demonstrated his ability to bring to an end everything that Pharaoh owns, all the people, everything. He he has power over the waters. He has power over the insects, power over the livestock, power over the elements. Every bit of it is entirely in the Lord's hand, and he has demonstrated his willingness to use it to humble Pharaoh. And all Pharaoh has to do is humble himself and let the people go. Now that would seem like the voice of reason, but of course the issue is pride. The reason why that's not happening, the reason why it hasn't happened already is because Pharaoh is lifted up in his heart in pride against the living God. He is shaking his fist at God and it does not matter what the Lord does to him, he continues on in his pride. He gives him the Threaten judgment, or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat from every tree which grows up out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of your servants, the houses of the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. He is not withholding from them the terribleness of what is going to happen. And friends, this is a lesson for us, okay? Satan comes and he speaks lies. He promises us to the world and he delivers nothing. 
He, he promises that the pleasures of sin for a season will be wonderful. Joining with him in rebellion against God will be the, the greatest thing that, is, that you can imagine. But in fact, he delivers nothing. All of it is emptiness and darkness and death. But the Lord, he tells us precisely the truth of what is going to happen. Each and every time he has come and he has said to Pharaoh what is going to happen. And gives this man an opportunity to repent. Gives this man an opportunity to stay the judgment that is about to come. And every single time what happens meets the description precisely. You know, in our day we have feedback, don't we? And people sell things on eBay and if it doesn't come the way it should, you... You have to say it's not as described. But no one in Egypt could possibly say that about the judgments that God has brought. He described them in advance. And everything that he says comes to pass. Because he's a truthful God. A God of light, not of darkness. So he's speaking the voice of reason. Our God is, he is the basis of all reason. Just to carry on the theme of this, this morning, we're speaking of the great use of logic. And we should be reminded that, please, do not ever think that the world has the one that has, is, has logic and reason. No, it is God who himself is the basis of all reason and logic. He is speaking the voice of reason. But it's not just him. It's even his advisors. And verse 7, then Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord your God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? God and his spokesman come, comes and he speaks reason. And the advisors come and they speak from a pragmatic view. They don't care about the Lord. They don't care about the people. What they care about is the land is being destroyed. And they rightly advise their king that he should relent. Now, I will say this, this man is being a snare to him, but generally speaking, the presence of God's people in a nation is a blessing to that nation. That's what it says in Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And if God's people are in a land, and they are at least tolerated, if not blessed in that land, then the land, the nation itself will be blessed. And friends, of all the nations of the earth, we who live in the UK should be cognizant of this because that was very much the case, very, very much the case, that when the people of God were blessed in this land, God lifted this nation up to a great height, one that makes no sense really in worldly terms, that this small island should rule a great portion of the world and in every other way to be blessed. Ordinarily, God's people are a blessing to the nation. But if that nation chooses to persecute them, then they will become a snare, actually. Not that they do anything. They don't need to take any action at all. That's, again, something that makes such a great difference between Christianity and Islam. We don't do a single thing. That's not the issue. There's no reprisals. There's no vengeance. It's God, you see who is jealous for his people, God, who, who himself will make sure that they will be a snare to the, to the nation. Now, we have the voice of reason in God, 
We have the experience uh, thus far of God carrying out everything that he threatens. It comes to pass exactly as described. We have the advisors themselves who out of mere pragmatism are saying this is not a good idea to continue doing this to the, the people of God. We really, really should let them go. But, you know, Pharaoh is not always rational. And that's his problem. Because he is a great picture. He is the great type of Satan himself who is not rational. Again, do not think that the world is rational and that Christians are irrational like the world wants to, to tell you. It's, it's exactly the opposite. Satan himself is the, the very essence of illogic and irrationality. He has done nothing rational from the dawn of time until now. He, he, he is lost more than once. In fact, it is impossible for him to win. Have you thought about it? It is impossible for Satan to win, yet that does not stop him from his continual rebellion against God. Each and every time he does something against God's people, he makes some move, it's worse for him. Then he, t- he breaches out his hand to kill the Son of God, and what happens? He's defeated completely. As the Lord rises again the third day in triumph and crushes Satan under his feet. It is impossible for him to win. He always makes things worse for himself, yet he continues to to kick and to fight against the living God. Pharaoh should know by this time that the land of Egypt is destroyed. He should know that to carry on his campaign against God's people is self-destructive. It is suicidal. But by this point, he's losing touch with reality because the darkness is upon him. And that, friends, is what sin is like. Is never rational, never. But rather, as we indulge sin, the downward spiral continues and our eyes are further darkened and we cannot see just how wrong and irrational and destructive our actions are. They speak the voice of reason. But secondly, Pharaoh chooses darkness. So Pharaoh, this is verse 8, Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to him, Go, serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Friends, I don't need to to say where this is going. If this is all that you, you heard, you know where this is going. This is not wholehearted repentance. This is not a real change of heart. He's, he's, he is being pressed to do this. And against his will, as it were, he is willing to make some sort of Concession, because again, the core issue is pride. It's all about pride. Pharaoh will not humble himself before the Lord. He wants to be in charge, even and retaining some element of being in control in the situation here. So he says, who's, who's going here? Because I get to approve that. I get to decide who goes and who stays. But Moses isn't buying it, thankfully. Moses doesn't crumble under the, oh, oh, Pharaoh, I'm so glad you're going to let some of us go. Uh, Just the elders will be fine. No. And he says, no. We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Uncompromising, faithful obedience, nothing less will be accepted. Now, Pharaoh again has a choice at this point. He knows what's going to happen. What plague are we up to now? We're up to the ninth plague. He has seen this before. 
He knows what's going to happen. Listen to his response. He says in verse 10, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. It's a threat. It's an open, bare-faced threat that he is going to do violence against them, just as, in fact, he seeks to do when this is all said and done. And he says, Not so. No, I'm not going to let your little ones go. No, you who are men, go and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they're driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And so he reneges once again. So he changes the goalposts once again. At no point had he ever said that we just want the adults to go, just the men to go. No, that was never the deal. That is not what he said he desired. And Pharaoh, in his deception, chooses darkness. He chooses darkness. When he says, the Lord had better be with you, Well, unfortunately for Pharaoh, the Lord was with Moses when this happens. And too bad, too bad that he did not ask rather that the Lord be with him. Too bad that he did not fall on his face and ask Moses to intercede for him that the Lord might be with him and his people. Rather, he chooses darkness. He has had a taste of it already in the locusts. Or he soon enough will have a taste of it in the locusts. And he will then have it in his fullness as we come to our third point, that darkness comes on the land. So first, in the form of locusts, in verse 12, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. And we're reminded of the mercy of God in him leaving so much of, of the crops beforehand. He didn't destroy them all without remainder. He allowed there to be enough for the people to survive on. But now Pharaoh, in his, his blind rage, has brought about himself the destruction of everything that was left. And so in verse 13, Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land, an east wind, all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. It was very severe. Previously there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be after them. That's that's something. We're talking about the end of the world. We're speaking even of the things that are described in Revelation. And the word of God says there will never be such locusts ever again in the world. Well, what was so severe about these locusts? Verse 15, they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. This is no accident. This is no extraneous element. This is of the essence here that darkness is descending both spiritually and physically on Pharaoh and on the whole nation of Egypt. It is a picture of the coming judgment. It is a picture of the coming destruction and the destruction that was already there. And there they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. And there remained nothing green on the trees. Can you imagine? This land, there's nothing green on it whatsoever. It's all gone. It's just a barren wasteland covered with locusts. Nothing left. Whereas Joseph, you remember the coming of Joseph, he, of the, the people of God, came into that land. And because of Joseph, they had plenty in a time of famine. Now it was going to be famine in the time of harvest. There was nothing left in the whole land. Then, then if that's not enough, these 
locusts that have come and that darken the whole land. Now we come to darkness itself in the ninth plague. In verse 16, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. This is a terrible plague and it moves even his wicked heart. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And you see how severe this particular plague was. He, Pharaoh himself, calls it this death that has come upon them. That these, all these plagues, you see, are increasing in their intensity. He begins with something that is very light. As he turns, for instance, the water into blood, it's revocable. It does no permanent damage. Nothing dies because of it. But now we come to this death, the death of all green and living things in the entire land, except, of course, for the land of Goshen. Verse 18, so he went from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord because he is the mediator. And friends, let me say again, if, if Pharaoh is a picture of, of Satan, Let me say that Moses is the picture of Jesus Christ. He is the mediator. He was there before Pharaoh. And at any point, Pharaoh could come to him and say, intercede for me. And Moses would. It's an amazing thing. You would think that Moses eventually said, no, you had your chance. I interceded once and you you turned on me. You're a traitor and a liar and I'm not going to do it again. But once again, Moses is willing to intercede even for this wicked man that had so enslaved and, and so dr- dealt treacherously with the people. Now, if that's Moses, beloved, how much more so the Son of God? How much more so Jesus Christ? You could be a pretty bad sinner. You may have come in, in some false way in the past and have backslidden But you know, even at this point, Christ Jesus is willing to hear your prayer of repentance. He will intercede for you. We we look from one end of the gospel of Luke to the other. And up until as long as this world remains, we find that in every occasion, someone who asks for mercy receives mercy from Christ. Moses asks, intercede for me. And Moses intercedes. And the judgment goes away. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind. So the east wind brought the locusts. Now the west wind takes them away, took the locusts and blew them into the Red Sea. And there remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. The totality of the judgment is only matched by the totality of the salvation. Nothing is left undone. Not a single locust. Again, reminding us that this is no ordinary and natural occurrence. It is all miraculous and supernatural. But verse 20, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be a darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. And here we come now to this ninth plague. And friends, it is a plague of darkness, because darkness has indeed descended. And now God is going to give them a picture, give them a taste of hell itself. For hell is described as the outer darkness. It is not only darkness. That's not the only aspect of it that is dreadful and terrible. There is eternal hellfire as well as God pours out his wrath upon the damned forever. But it is most certainly darkness. And it will be a dreadful, dreadful darkness indeed. 
And now God brings a taste of this eternal wrath and judgment upon the land. And so in verse 22, Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children had, of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now, I want to say, it is one thing when we're speaking of darkness that happens when, when evening descends, when the sun goes down. But God in his goodness ensures that there's always some kind of light. There is a moon, and if there's not a moon, there are stars. And even when, when clouds cover the stars, yet some of their light comes to us. And of course, in this city, we have all kinds of artificial light. But there's never a time on the surface of the earth that we encounter true and total darkness. The only time that we ever encounter a bit of it is perhaps when we go into a very deep cave. And some of you that have gone to the YP camps in the past have experienced that. And we turn off our lights and there we experience total darkness. And there is no sense in moving around. There is no point. You cannot see a single thing And it seems to me that God made sure that there was no artificial light. Somehow he extinguished all those lights as well so that the darkness was thick, the darkness was total, and it was dreadful. We can scarce imagine what a dreadful judgment it must be to dwell in total darkness. Even again in the cave, we can't stand it for too long, and so we turn back on the lights after, after a few minutes. But this went on for days, and it must have been dreadful. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But on the other hand, all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Because God wasn't bringing judgment upon his own people, but rather upon the land, the nation that had persecuted them and enslaved them and tortured and killed them. There was light among them. But other than that, there was darkness now because Pharaoh had chosen it. Pharaoh chose it and darkness certainly came in the form of the locust and in form of darkness itself. And fourthly and finally, we see that even this is not enough, but rather that Pharaoh chooses death. Verse 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. My, you just shake your head at this point. You consider the great darkness that had entered into his heart. The darkness that was out there was almost nothing in comparison with the darkness that had now descended into his heart. He who had before just said, no, just the, the men, everyone else, your children has to stay. Now he, he wants to have some other deal. He wants to claw back some sort of control in all this. He's not learned his lesson. He has not humbled himself. And let me say, friends, this is just like sinners who make a deal with God and say, I will give over this part of my life, but not the other. I will repent of this sin, but not of the rest. I will withhold some control. I want you to understand that this is not acceptable to God. I want you to understand that those kind of statements God shakes his head at, just as we shake our heads at Pharaoh's foolishness and darkness in this case. And actually what Pharaoh is doing in all this is he is choosing death. Moses said, no. 
You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Verse 27, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Don't forget, the Lord is sovereign over all the affairs of mankind. He is sovereign, he says it more than once. Verse 28, then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For the face, in the day that you see my face, you shall surely die. Friends, what a dreadful statement that is. What a choice Pharaoh has just made. He is cutting himself off from the only mediator that was given to him, the only one that could intercede on his behalf. He says, get away from me. I don't want to see you anymore. God has sent him the means of grace. God has sent him his word. And he has decided that he doesn't want to hear it anymore. When people do that, when people do that today, you know that. Sometimes the Lord is speaking to them. Sometimes they go for church, to church for a while and they receive some aspect of the gospel. Maybe they come under conviction of sin. But they, in their hardness of heart, turn away from these things and say, No, I don't want to come back again. And you, you who have been preaching to me, I don't want to hear you anymore. I don't want to see your face. And they remove themselves from the possibility of repentance. They remove themselves from the possibility of of salvation, and it is the saddest and most dreadful sort of thing that can be imagined. And it is something we would not choose for our worst enemy. Well, of course, Pharaoh was indeed Moses' worst enemy, and Moses had not chosen it, but it had come anyways. And in verse 29, Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. And as I say, Pharaoh closing off contact with Moses, he has sealed his own fate. Truly, they never will see one another again. That's the end of these these interactions. There'll never be another time in which God sends his servant to speak to to, to, to Pharaoh. And from this point on, it is only total judgment and destruction. Stubbornness turns to darkness. Darkness turns to death. Second Peter 2.4, we read it. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, so he'll not spare those who rebel against him. Or in verse 17, these are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. This is the choice that Pharaoh has now made. Well, this is the story of how Pharaoh and the whole nation of Egypt descended into darkness. And here are the applications that I have for you. First of all, I want you to understand something very plainly and clearly. All Satan wants from you is partial obedience. I'll say it again. All Satan wants is partial obedience. Now, 
what he could not stand, what he could not abide with, and Pharaoh being the, the picture of, of Satan himself, what he could not abide with, what enraged him was that Moses insisted upon a full and complete obedience. And that was the thing he couldn't deal with. If it was partial, if it was just the adults, he could have, he could have lived with it. If it was just the people and not even the livestock, he could have dealt with it. As long as it was partial rather than complete. As long as he retained some semblance of obedience to Satan, he was okay with it. My friends, this is what is said in Matthew 6. That no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Do you see? No one can serve to masters. Satan wants to, to, to think, make us think that we can. But the Lord says you can't. I was re- reminded of some words that I wrote in the, the banner, I think, last year. The world does not demand that we give up everything all the time, only that we give up a little some of the time. Do you get that? The world doesn't really care. It's not really expecting for us to give up all of our religion, every aspect of our Christianity for all of our time. No. They are perfectly satisfied that we we give up a little bit some of the time. And so if our, our goal is to maintain some kind of insider status within the world while hanging on to what we think are the core essentials of the faith, we'll count that as a win. But if we understand that what Christ asks of us is faithfulness to him, then we'll know that this is a defeat, you see. Moses could have said, oh, okay, well, we can do this deal. And, and he could have made some sort of compromise in which he, he said, well, I'm sure what the Lord really cares about is that, that the elders of the people, or at least the adult men worship, or at least the people worship. That must be surely what he mainly cares about. And if you're willing to do this, and you're being so kind and understanding, I'm willing to go along with it. But no, the Lord's having none of it. Moses ha- is having none of it. It must be full and complete obedience. And so long as we think that compromise is good enough, we'll be thankful when the world grants us some concessions and some temporary peace. But we have to understand that while Satan is willing to accept a partial obedience, that's all he's after. He's not doing any obedience at all. So when we give him a partial obedience, we, that's all he's looking for. While he is willing to accept a partial obedience, God is not. Don't forget it. All Satan wants is a partial obedience. Secondly, when we're thinking about what Satan wants, Satan doesn't want our children to serve God. I don't think it's for... Did you, you notice this? I don't know if you notice this in the, in the eighth plague. That what got Pharaoh so upset also was involving the children. He was willing to let the adults go, but he demanded to hang on to the children. And so this is what Matthew Henry says in the 17th century. Not speaking today. In the 17th century, note, Satan does all he can to hinder those that serve God themselves from bringing their children in to serve him. He is a sworn enemy to early piety, knowing how destructive it is to the interest of his kingdom Whatever would hinder us from engaging our children to the utmost in God's service, we have reason to suspect that the hand of Satan is in it. I hope you got that. I hope you understand what is intended there. Satan, of all things, cannot abide 
wholehearted young people, giving themselves entirely to him. He knows how destructive to his interest that is. And so he will stand against it in any way he knows how. And so in our prayers, whether you have children or not, certainly you are, you are covenantally attached to this people. In our prayers and in our actions and our example and all the rest of it, we must remind ourselves that Satan does not want our children to serve God wholeheartedly, and therefore we must resist him in this respect. Thirdly, let us remind ourselves to rejoice and embrace the light. The light that is given to us is a beautiful thing. All the children of Israel had light in their dwellings, and all the darkness around them must have made them appreciate it all the more. You know, just think of that picture that must have been there, that in the, in the royal palace there was darkness, and there was deathly silence as no one was moving around. And in the, the, peace, the, the houses of the rich, and in the houses of the great, and in the great, the captains of the land, there was darkness. And they might have had great gold and other treasures, but no one could see it. They might have had great storehouses of wealth, but they could not enjoy it. On the other hand, in the land of Goshen, there was light. These were a slave people by now, and all that they had was surely not much. They lived in poverty. But friends, they had light, and they were blessed in that. And I want us to understand that whether we have much or whether we have little in this life, that as the darkness unfortunately descends more and more in the world and the nation around us, we have light in the land of Goshen. and the household of God and God's people, in his church, there is light we can be thankful for it. And in some ways, the light is all the greater. The light is all the more significant and all the more to be rejoiced in and all the more to be thankful for as we see the terribleness of darkness around us. I hope that we see it. I hope that we're appreciative of the light that God has given to us. And let me just say also that if you're here that apart from Christ, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, you have the light, friends. What the Lord says in the Gospel of John is, while you walk in the light, while you have it. While the light is with you, believe it. I consider just how sad it was. All the lights were turned off in Egypt, and Pharaoh was in darkness those days. And, and finally, then Moses returns. And we know that if Moses is there, there must have been light, because God didn't bring darkness on his people. And there he is, the harbinger of light. He's a, the mediator, and Pharaoh has this one last opportunity to embrace the light. And friends, that's the way I want you to think of yourself. In the presence of the light, you have this opportunity to embrace Christ as your Savior. And I would urge you that while the light is with you, while you have the light, to embrace it. Let us pray. Great God and Heavenly Father, you are the Father of light, and in you there is no darkness at all. In this world there is great darkness, for we know that the prince of this world, Satan, is indeed the prince of darkness. And all that he says, they are, these things are lies. Every promise that he makes are empty. But Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is light in the household of God. 
Lord, what a terrible thing to see Satan driving away the one source of light, closing him off from the one mediator that was given to him to intercede on his behalf. Oh, Lord, how we pray that this would not be the case for any of us here. But rather, Lord, that in your power you would open our eyes to rejoice, to receive in the light, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to salvation. And, Lord, that as your people we would all the more be thankful for the light that you've given to us and not choose darkness at all. And certainly, not, Lord, not to choose compromise. We recognize, Lord, that compromise is the great goal and the, and the desire of, of Satan. But, Lord, as for us, we want to serve you wholeheartedly. We do pray, Lord, that everything that we have and everything that we are, everything that we, we own, that, Lord, we would serve you with these things and nothing less. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.